Hey yo, this is your pilot speaking. Eric Sermon representing Death Squad. Back in the back with Paloo. Y'all don't know. I better ask somebody. Worked up. It's the street corner bastard packing the plastic automatic hole puncher. My gun claps with more force than thunder. Paloo rules seeps deep into the center of the earth. Broke thirst makes me bust first. My concrete mystique makes me a natural born killer. And I can lift trife and turn your body to ice. It's all the morbid, the way I fling your fling into orbit. And I even get incarcerated for it. The cataclysmic, rhythmic mind bender. X crack dealer could put your brain inside a blender. And bring it back with a spark. Prince of the park, deep dark, pumping more bass than Stanley Clark. I transmit hit after hit of the raw, uncut, dope, incredible shit. So who the fuck you fooling? The runner when we're cool. Yes, yes. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The House List. Yes, my weekly podcast is called The House List. And my name is Peter Agostin. I'm the producer and host of the show. Each and every episode is edited and engineered by my man CJ Stewart out in Cali. Northern Cali, Southern Cali. I'm not quite sure. He's uh, on the move a lot. Um, We have a great, great episode uh, for you uh, this week with my man Prince. My man Prince of Power Rule. Power Rule is in the house. Uh, I'm like their number one fan. Uh, I'm, I'm such a huge uh, nerd about this group and I'm, and I was so excited to finally be able to do a conversation with my man Prince of Power Rule um, and uh, we get into it we talk about it uh, the career and the records you know from the seminal debut and I learned all types of stuff that I didn't really take into consideration volume one that's the debut came out on Interscope Records in 1991 which also happens to be the same year Tupac's uh, debut on Interscope came out, Tupacalypse Now. And for all intents and purposes, Power Rule and Tupac were the were the, were the only hip-hop acts on the label at that time. We're talking 90-91. Now, Power Rule's next album after that was in 2016. The first one, 91. Second one, 2016. But in between, there's some seminal singles at the height of the DJ uh, indie hip hop 12 inch uh, boom, if you will, and um, also amazing signals that came off the debut album. But a lot, uh, depending on where you're coming from, uh, you know the 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 mid 90s stuff. I think created a whole new fan base for Power Rule and the notoriety for them. And some of uh, my favorite material of theirs, uh, Dawn to Dusk and Rocky Not Quick it was the Hydra Records one Well Connected and Bright Lights Big City on Dolo Records and then there are these two uh, uh, back-to-back singles on, on a tiny label called Black Wax which I think only did these two records but um, Rhymes of Bust and It's Your Right Heating Up these were Mark Ronson's first time on Wax too so um, yeah we talk about all this stuff and and Talk about the Mets, the New York Mets, all in, all in the same conversation. It's a great New York story, a great story from Queens, and uh, it's a hip-hop story, and that is for sure. And I was excited to do it, stoked to do it. I, I think um, it's funny with the album title called The Anomaly. I do, uh, that's their most recent album. Um, I really feel like Power Rule and Prince from Power Rule primarily uh it was kind of an anomaly in the business too. Uh, now, for people that don't really know that much about the group, that may be unfamiliar, Power actually is like a—it's really like a group. It's a trio, really originally, um, but with DJ Axe and Evil, and then uh, Mike Miller came along later. But Prince is the the, the figure piece of the group for sure. Uh, so, just to give you a little bit of context, but I'm not going to go over long and explain my conversation. Uh, ahead of time I'd rather you guys just jump into it and dig it if this is your first time listening to the podcast thank you, I appreciate it if you know somebody that um, is a fan of Power Rule or my man Prince 
uh, you know, then send this to them. It's on iTunes. You can find it at the Houseless Podcast. If you listen to podcasts on, uh, you know, your desktop or laptop computer, what have you, when you're just chilling at home or at work or 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 whatever, you can find it at SoundCloud.com, the Houseless Podcast. Now I urge you to repost it. If you have a SoundCloud page, please repost it on it. If you dig it, if you dig these conversations, you can dig back at 29 other ones that I did uh, that are all really great, really unique of people in the music industry as well as artists. Um, our last episode, episode 29 with Lofty305 out of Miami was our highest rated episode to date. And it just was a tremendous amount of people uh, listened to it and reposted it. And I appreciate it if you're one of those people that did that and you're listening to this then i salute you thank you so much for helping spread the word um and that was an awesome conversation i want to thank everyone that came out to the show here in brooklyn at sunnybell last saturday which was myself lofty 305 and houseless podcast alum james pants too so uh saw a few other people in the crowd uh in, uh, in the party that were previous podcast guests as well um, Kirby Dominant and Jake Sniffinowski of Rocks Off. So shout out to them. Thank you guys so much. Uh, without further ado, let's get into this conversation with my man, Power Rule, only here on the house list. All right, y'all, check it out. Yeah, I just want to, I love to talk about the album, all the music, and just, you know, just talk about the whole context of it, because there's one album and then 25 years later there's right. another album yeah it's crazy so there's obviously a lot of shit happens yeah. <laughs> before after life, life happened yeah yeah definitely. Um, so um i mean even starting with the the album i guess like leading up to it like what how does that even how do you even fall into you know getting signed to a you're on a major label it's mm -hmm. 1990 obviously that a lot has to lead up to a point like that right so well, um, really, it was some. It was something that's you know. It would be kind of like fairy taleish, coming from where I come from in Queens, Queens Village, you know, the Jamaica area, but Queens Village mainly. They call it Shadyville now. Mm -hmm. um, we were just we're, we're right on the cusp of Hollis, so it's just right. like rap music was huge in our neighborhood. Like there was always block parties in Thirty Four Park or Two Fifth Park. You know, this is the birthplace of Run DMC, LL, Salt and Pepper, Davey DMX, you know, Russell Rush, and all these people are just like a few blocks away. So yeah, the whole neighborhood was just, you know, it was just everybody wanted to be a rapper. Yeah. It was like one of the breeding grounds. You know, you could actually do it. Like we see people, like I see Run on Jamaica Avenue. I went to. So you see those guys like oh, around yeah, the neighborhood? Yeah. I mean, I remember Irv Gotti. This kid yes. named Romeo and Rozelle, they had a group called the Death Crew. Mm. People don't know about Irv. Irv was an amazing, amazing DJ. Like yeah, DJ crazy. Irv. Right. DJ Irv was ridiculous. So that was like a superstar group. Like, you know, they were called Death Crew and they have flyers everywhere. But I don't know what happened to Romeo, but obviously, you know, the story about Irv and Rozelle. So like sure. Rozelle was my boy, Irv. I, I know all of them. So we just rhymed around the way. It was me, myself. Um, a guy by the name of Johnny J and a guy by the name of House. And House used to beatbox and me and Jay used to rhyme. Now, mm. I was okay, but Jay really taught me how to rap. Like, Jay, you can find him on um, Young Stars From Nowhere, which right. is on the first album. Yeah, on the debut album. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was going to ask you about the other guys because everyone yeah, yeah. obviously knows Curious. Curious right. So. But the other two guys were guys from my neighborhood. Um, Biggie oh. the Rebel and, and Johnny J yeah, and they both Rebel was they, they both taught me how to rap and um, but what happened was once we started making studio plans Johnny would never show up and then me and me and House asked him one day and we're like um, so what's going on like what's up with you and uh, he's just like you know I never was in this for fame or anything like mm -hmm. that I, I I'm I'm just happy rapping and I don't want to be in the spotlight. Cool. I was like, wow, which was, you know, pretty fucking cool for those days. Right. right? And I was Especially just like, in that proximity yeah, to Run yeah. DMC and the and, and I, yeah, I so I I got it, but it didn't take away my urge to, you know, make a record. So right. I just uh started going to the studio myself and just 
then one day stumbled into Axe by accident because I was in my cousin's house. He lived on top of my cousin, and I always heard him playing around for a little beat machine. Okay. So one day I just asked him. I said, you know, what are you doing? And then he said that. And actually the first beat that he ever played me was the beat for Smooth. Oh, and wow. that's what he had. So Amazing. I, I just rapped on that. We went to the studio. Blah, 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 boom. Like uh, my boy Evil from around the way, he knew this lady who was a teacher. And she said she wanted to make records and she had a label. So it's just like, boom, we just stumbled into it. Like, E's teacher had a record label. Her name was Dale Schwartz. Rest in peace, she passed away. Um, she had a record label. Evil had the song. He showed it to her. And she showed it to, like, record pool people back then. Right. Because everybody had record pools back right. then. Right, and the label you're referring to is Revenge mm-hmm. Records. Mm-hmm. Right? So in Revenge, if you look at it, I mean, Power Rule is kind of an anomaly on that roster, oh, too, because it's a yeah. lot of freestyle records yeah, yeah, and yeah, dance yeah. music. And... I'm telling you, this happened out of nowhere. And, and <laughs> That's the fact, hilarious, man. And the fact that the first demo that we did, and then that's the first record that we put out, and that first record that we put out hit a bunch of record pools, was huge in the record pools, but I had no idea that, you know, that's the funny thing. Like, I never handed Red Alert a record, and, you know, I mean, that was, that was the record pool. He actually got that from, and I forgot what record pool it was. And, yeah, of course, and record pools also obviously are, were a huge tool at mm-hmm. that time as well. Um, yeah, I, absolutely. But um, the first place that ever played our single was BAU, was Wild Man Steve. Yeah, Wild Man Steve, WBAU. Right? WBAU. Is, uh, Long Island, right? Yes. Yeah. Adelphi University. And I used to listen to that station all the time because Dr. Dre from Long Island had his radio station there first. That's how I heard all the public enemy stuff and... You hear run demos and right. run well, Chuck demos D had a show too, right? Yeah, right. but I, I, I think he had got signed then, right? So, so he wasn't up there anymore. Right, this right. was the earlier days, well, later days, right, later, right, right, right. But yeah, all the '98 posse, all that. You know, you'd hear tons of demos and stuff over so. there. So, like for them to play, it was incredible. And then immediately after that, all the Red Alerts and the Marleys started. Right. Marley, we actually gave the record to. I remember Axe went up there, Traj was an intern, and Axe went up there, gave him a bottle of Dom Perignon, and he played it, a world premiere. I'll never forget, I'm, wow. sitting, in front of my, I'm sitting in front of my girl's house in Jamaica, and um, he put on a world premiere, and he actually played it right after big, uh, EPMD Big Payback. Wow. I'll never forget that. And back then, everybody listened to the radio. Yes. So it was just like, it was like a Friday night, and it was just blasting on every radio in the hood, dude. I'm telling you, it was like hot outside. I forgot, I forgot how it was, whatever. But it was great. And just like hearing every car come by bumping yeah. the joint for the first time. It was unbelievable. So Smooth, this is still just when Smooth existed right. just yeah. as a single, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So when you even mentioned like you guys, it was like boom, boom, you get in the studio. I mean, what yeah. could even be a studio for guys that basically, you know, this is the first... Uh, the track this guy makes that you mm-hmm. hear and it becomes the first song so yeah. how do you even assemble at that point in time to begin recording at all evil he knew somebody i don't even know how right dude he just i've I, you know what and to this day i've never even asked him how did you meet this guy matt so and matt um was the boyfriend of a woman who would end up being a great video producer pamela burkhead hmm. so I don't know how Evil met them, but all I know is I met Pamela through him, through this guy Matt, and I also met um, what's this guy's name, uh, who does the movies and the videos, uh, like a feature link uh, director. Yeah, a real big director. He was a huge hip hop director, and then ended up doing movies. He was friends with Basquiat and all that. Um, Oh man, I'm gonna die if I don't remember. I'll get back to it. But Kevin Bray, Kevin yeah, Bray, yes. yeah. So I met Kevin, and Kevin ended up doing a video for me later on. But the smooth video, we went to the studio there. Evil knew them somehow, and then they were like, "Hey, Pamela was like, I shoot videos." And he's like, cool. "Yeah, really?" And then that was it. I'm telling you, everything just worked hand by hand. Like it's just like one thing happened, the next thing happened. So the uh, song was on the radio, and it was getting a lot of play all over the country, which was crazy. Right. 
And I would see it because I think the source back then had um, D, certain DJs playlist. Mm -hmm. or, or I don't know if they did, but somebody, I end up getting a playlist and then show all the top DJs in the country with their playlist. Right, sure. I mean, people yeah. would report their playlists yeah, yeah, to yeah. trades. It would be right. Gavin so it's or It's totally CMJ. different time. Everything was very right. organized. Very organized, very physical. You could yeah. see a exactly. physical piece of yeah. paper yeah. and documentation. Yeah, it, it was awesome. I mean, I miss those days tremendously. Yeah, but, I miss them too. It's like yeah. you, we lost a certain yeah physicality to it, you know, and it's a hard, hard thing like a right. you know, like a tape or you know. exactly. Which is, I feel like there's a trend that, of it coming back now. Yeah, definitely. Which is really cool, but um, yeah. So I, I remember seeing my song on there, and you know, our song on there, and it was cool. And I ended up going to Red Alert to to do a drop. He, he was always wow. playing it. Then he started playing it like. Prime prime time, what we call prime time, was like eleven o'clock at night. Then, right. if you got paid, played at eleven, that means everybody was going out. Yes. And it's like he played like around eleven thirty, right before he went off, man. Oh, yeah. And I remember he used to mix it with um, the Jungle Brothers, Jungle. Which one, Uncle Man? Um, JB's coming through. JB's coming through. Yep, he wow. used to play that with JB's coming through, like clockwork all oh, the time. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, for oh, that a long was time. His, he knew that those two. Fit oh, I, I I didn't know, right. and I couldn't believe he did it with and that. For it so. To be Red Alert playing the Jungle Brothers too, which is like his signature. Forget about it. Well, yeah. Like, and Marley oh, that's playing exciting, it. man. So, and Marley was playing it off a big payback. That was crazy. But then, while we were shooting the video, Marley decided to start using DJs. And his first two DJs were Pete Rock and um, Clark Kent. Wow. They used to bury that record. I'm telling you, man, they would burn it. I remember shooting the video for it while listening to it on the radio. Oh, so up. crazy. That's awesome. And you guys Rock must have been so geeked Kent. then, right? I was crazy. But you know what? But it was a, it was something that I really, it was like surreal for me right. happening. And I never really thought we were popular at all. Right. But then I kind of started noticing it, you know. But I noticed it more when, the, obviously, when the video came out. And then, like, be walking down the street and, like, people well, yeah, would know who I story. was. It was like a whole different thing. And... I don't remember ever sending the video to, well, I, I guess Dale, she must have sent the video to BET right. and sent it to MTV. And both of them played it. It's just like, I couldn't believe it. I actually knew when it was going to come on MTV because Dale told me and somebody told her, you're going to come, it's going to come on at 3.30 um, on whatever day it was, right? Right. So... At this time, I was living in Long Island, and I was working in a, a, a envelope factory, stuffing envelopes. Wow! And guess who was working with me in the envelope factory? Who could be? Who could that? Keith Murray. Wow! Me and Keith Murray. I was the living young in Keith C Murray. Yeah, I was living in CI, and Keith used to stuff envelopes. Me and him used to work at this place called Mailman, and um, I remember Dang, I told so him. To I, him, you were the guy that had the the record. Album. Well, not yet, because I, I was at work, and I told him, I said. I got a song, and he was like, yeah, you ain't got no song. Like, he'd be like, yeah, yeah, all right, whatever. I was like, yo, my video's coming on MTV tomorrow. He said, you ain't got no video coming on MTV. And I was like, oh, well, I'm, I ain't gonna be able to tell you about it afterwards because once that comes on, I'm quitting. <laughs> and it came on, and I quit, boy. And I'd see Keith later on. He was like, oh, shit, I can't believe you really did have a video. Because a lot of people... In the beginning, they knew the song before right. the video came out because they used to play it so much. Right. But they didn't know it was me because they didn't think only dudes who were down with the 5% Nation of Islam knew that power rule meant Puerto Rican and knew I was Puerto Rican. Everybody just thought I was black at first. Mm -hmm. But then when the video came out, they started recognizing that. I was like, wow, oh shit. And they, they started bugging out. So do you think, was there, a, at, at, even at that point with that first single, was there ever a... Uh, a thing where people were talking about you guys being like Latin rappers or anything like that or, or uh, you know New York I feel like is a different kind of landscape because mm -hmm. it's so culturally diverse mm -hmm. with people especially with dance music and hip hop right. and even rock you know yeah, to yeah, a degree yeah. it's when you get out of New York it's a little more like people kind of slap the labels on them a little bit right right because um, looking back, that's how people would identify this group would be like, oh, yeah, they were like the first, uh, some right. of the first Latin yeah, yeah, rappers yeah. that came out. Well, I, I'll tell you, it's like this. It's, um, like I said, I didn't really know we were that popular right. until the videos came out and stuff like that. 
but we still weren't making any money. Like this, you know, she's passed away now, but even while I was going, I mean, she robbed us. I mean, she would, but I mean, that's the story that everybody told in the beginning. How many people got it perfectly right in the beginning from my generation? Nobody. (laughs) I mean, Everybody was front, and they well, weren't making money. That's why people are so successful now, because right. a lot of uh, hey, the we, lessons were learned. A lot of lessons were learned, and um, you know. But would I take it back? Hell no, dude. I was on TV all the time. I was on the radio. Like people actually showed me like respect of other rappers who I admired. You know, respected us and stuff. It, it was cool. But, you, um, were you even uh, performing? Do you remember your guys' first show as Power Rulers? Like this is show? the thing that messed up this whole group for so many years. So we didn't know anything, and we had no management. And people who wanted to manage us, like Dr. Dre from the radio, he wanted to manage us, but we never signed anything. Eric B. wanted to manage us. Oh, wow. We never signed anything. And, you know, we were always just skeptical, And but we didn't know anything, man. Right. Like, so we just... Came out, we did our own thing, to a handful of shows, not even that many right. shows, because people didn't know how to get in touch with us. I must have performed like three times at Roseland because I knew Baby J, the DJ. <laughs> and I used to hang out there for years before then. So I'd be in Roseland all the time doing a show. But, you know, like when I started going to the downtown scene is when I met like Amanda Shear. Mm. And I remember the first show I did downtown was a car wash show. And it was ultra magnetic, brand new being myself, and I think poor righteous teachers. Wow, incredible! Dope show. Dope. Car wash was like a roving party, right? It was like a, a, it was um, a residence. You, you know, it was in one spot all the time when I was used to go. Okay, but um, I forgot what street was. I could have swore it was like on Grand Street or something like right. that. Right. So New York natives would obviously. Oh man, I mean that was, was, it was you in, couldn't do a bigger show than car wash right, back dope. in the days. That was the show to do. And uh, what is I, this? This is ninety. This is eighty nine. Wow. This is all. Of, I remember Brand New being first came out with their single. People think it, it was like um, one for all, but they had um, it, it was um. Well, they had the Brand New um, which was the actual song. It the, feels so good. Too. Feels so good. Yeah. That was their single. That's yeah. how they had the video for it. And I always remember that because when I look back in time, I was like, man, both of us fucked up by wearing them paisley shirts in our video. <laughs> And did a couple of dance steps, but that was hip hop, man. You know, it, it's right. kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of boring now. Shit, people had shows back then, you know. Oh, for sure. You know, yeah. but you have to, you have to put on a little show. I, we ain't gonna know. And then, you know, those first shows, man, I always had dancers with me. Only yeah. later on, when when I started getting more popular, I was like, ah, forget the dancing. But did you dance? Were you? Did you come? I had up in to that do one? a couple of steps. You had to do a couple of steps right. back. Because I remember even <laughs> in the in the stretching Bobito movie, there's a scene. You one have the flashback. I mean, listen, man, some... I'm a Puerto Rican dude from New York City. If you don't know how to break dance, have a little bit of a tag, know have a little rap. You had to do everything if you wanted to be a hip hop guy. And then you know you specialized in something. I was a I was down with Dynamic Rockers like that. That was oh, my God. crew. So you know I knew how to. B-boy a little bit, you know, I had my hand glides and my floats and stuff like that. But, you know, rapping was the thing. But, you know, everybody had to have a little step. Yeah, but, and you yeah. have, you have like, the natural voice. Like, that mm-hmm. was the first thing, too. When, and that's why, you know, always love these records, too, because it's, it's a very distinctive uh, voice in hip-hop, too. You know? I think it's a gift and a curse, actually. Really? Like, yeah, because I've, I've sat there a million times and heard myself and been like, man, I can't stand my voice. But, you know... What about it? Does, it's, it just, what, it's, too, it's not. Uh, it's I have too very gravelly unique, I, or something, or what? I, I, you know, I just, I don't think like when I hear my voice, I like it because it's unique when I speak to people. Yeah. But I don't really care for it that much. It's very difficult for me to mix records and stuff like that. I've just mm. become comfortable with it now. Right. Like I'll actually turn up my vocals in tracks now, where before it was just like I used to try and bury them. But I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't in charge of engineering, so. Right. It worked out, but if I was in charge of engineering, you probably wouldn't be able to understand anything I said. <laughs> right, got you. So um, uh, I'd love to jump into the yeah. making of this. So, album uh, so what's what's the cool story is? Let me give you another bunch of names to throw out there. So yeah, because obviously, I, go, I mean, from I go, smooth yeah. to the almost shitload right. of stuff has to happen. So, Bobito was in charge of college promotions at Def Jam at yeah. that time. Yes, and. This is right before he had the radio station. But right. I must have met him somewhere at a party. He asked me to come and visit him at Def Jam. 
So I come to visit him at Def Jam. He shows it like I'm up in Def Jam for the first time, and I know a bunch of Hollis motherfuckers. Right. But I I never been up to Def Jam. Yeah, that's huge. So yeah, so I'm hanging out there, and I'm just like okay, and then Bob introduces me introduces me to this intern, and it happens okay. to be Curious. Ah. So Curious used to be an intern for Def Jam. So we met and immediately hit it off, and that was it. And that was the beginning of me and him being best friends. That's and, you know, we're still friends to this day. One of the only people I can, one of very few people I can actually say is my friend that I met from the business. And him, and uh, Curious, I think, lived in the same building as him, too, yeah, right? So yeah. he even brought, kind of brought him into the Exactly, whole. yeah. So Bob, you know, he hooked up George, and George, you know, George, I, I made George's first three demos. Really? Yeah, and then... Um, what do you mean? You brought him to the studio? Yeah, I brought him to the studio that I made smooth in, and then... He, uh, I knew he was net, nice, you know, and yeah. so I just asked him if he wanted to make a record, and he right. said, yeah, and then we hang out, and we do demos, we did like three demos, and then end up uh, showing it to like Dante, and to Pete and Bob, yeah. and then off of those demos, Pete and Bob signed them to Hoppo, which was part of Columbia. Right. And it's funny too, because when I seen George up at Def Jam, Faith Newman was still working at Def Jam too, and I always be like, "Wow, man, sh that's Faith Newman. She's hot and all this." Uh, yeah, but I didn't fine. know how. I didn't know how musically fucking on point she was, though. Right, right. You know, she really knew. She 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 still does to this day. She knows what she's doing, and she she picks and likes real good music. So, oh uh, yeah, impeccable so, yeah. taste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can sign Nas off a demo, which I'm probably a lot of people probably wanted to, but she was. Looking for that dude, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, and you, you just like curious. I, I feel like you were definitely a very close uh, uh, part of that the 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 stretch and Bobito world. Oh too. yeah, yeah. Uh, going, you I went mean, up to the station. If me and Stretch didn't have a falling out, I, I would have been all in that movie. But <laughs> but anyway, you know, it's all good. You know. But, but yeah. nevertheless, I mean, during the during the, over the course of that yeah. the tenure at, at oh, Columbia, you were you went there a lot. I mean, you know, it's. I've heard a lot of people say this, and you know, I mean, all of us sit around and have our conversations and talk about how things were and this and that. But there, it really was. It was so. It, it was a lot more difficult to to be heard or to be seen. Oh, sure. So the whole thing of that, this will bring it back and make off. It all makes sense. The fact that we were Puerto Rican from New York and we didn't rhyme in Spanish. There was dudes doing bilingual stuff and everything like that. Right. And there was a lot of guys who were Puerto Rican, but they were in a group with a, 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 a couple of uh, black dudes. So, you know, you had your Tito from the Fearless Four, which was my idol. You had your Prince Marky D's. You had your Charlie Chases, your Ruby D's. You had, you know, all these guys, um, Prince Whipper Whip, whatever, yeah. a, bu a bunch of dudes. But they never were thought of as marketable on their own. Mm. You know, you, you had to be down with somebody else. Right. So the fact that we were all Puerto Rican on TV, no disputing it. I mean, not all Puerto Rican, because actually I'm the only Puerto Rican one in Power Rule. Uh -huh. and, and Power Rule, that name comes from, that's what the black guys used to call me around my neighborhood who were, who were five percenters. They used to call me instead of Puerto Rican, they'd be like, yo, what up, Power Rule? Yeah, like, like, oh, yeah, yeah, just like, I mean, yeah, because there is a uh, phraseology within yeah, yeah. that too. The same yeah. way you say now cypher, but yeah, of yeah, course yeah, yeah, be yeah, no. yeah. I didn't realize that. So that yeah, name, because yeah. that name has always intrigued me too. Because yeah. it's such a, it's a dope name too. Uh -huh. So that came from just, oh, just given to you it was in, straight as a, a term of endearment from brothers in my hood, wow. you know. But so I was like, what better name to to come out? And, and, and my boy Poncho, I got to give it to him, who's down with dynamic. He said, "Why don't you just call yourself where everybody calls you, Power Rule?" And I was right. like, "Wow, that's kind of hot." And okay. then eventually, now what? I don't have to really shove the Puerto Rican thing, thing down your throat. Like, right. th this is going to be a cool way. Only if you're a god body, you would know what Power Rule is. Right, right, right. Yeah. And the, but eventually, when did the Prince thing come about? Because oh, I always was calling myself the Puerto Rican Prince and, and Rhymes. Huh. But yeah. now, it's just like, okay, now I can call myself Prince Power Rule, so it would be cool. Yes, that's dope. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was, that was dope. But, um, you know, through that exposure, then we came out with something that I really was passionate about because... I'm a hip-hop head, but I'm just as much a rock head as I am a hip-hop yeah. head. I mean, I grew up straight listening to salsa in my house, disco, and, you know, hip-hop on the, on the street, on a corner, or in the back of a bus, busting out of boomboxes, right. and going to keg parties 
with my white homeboys in uh, Bayside listening to right. Led Zeppelin and shit like that every right. single day. So it's all, each genre is sort of in its own environment. You know, like, had, had its own uh, movement, own clothing. I mean, I was confused, but I was happy I grew up that way no, because dope. it makes me who I am today. Yeah. That's why I'm, I'm able to, to understand so many different cultures and people. Right, know? right. And I mean, if you look at the two big singles off that album right. too, um, they're both very rock and roll oriented. You well, know, like, you know, so Smooth led to me being able to do what I wanted to do, which led to doing Brick in the Wall. Right. And Brick in the Wall, which was a radio failure. Red Alert wasn't playing that shit. Right. Nobody was playing totally, that. Totally it was different. too too out there, right. too ahead of its time maybe, you know? Um, but it's I couldn't understand why people couldn't get it. They got it because the video was getting burned all the time. I could see MTV, that. Um, the box, the, when you used to have to call up and, and, right. and pay for shit. Like, I mean, it would literally come on like 22 times in a row. Like, wow. people would sit there and say, I, I watched it 22 times in a row. That's yeah, interesting. Eric yeah. Sermon used to come, he used to date some Puerto Rican girl in Jersey, and he's like, power rule, yo, I've seen your video like 50 times in a row, man, it's crazy. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, and a lot of people don't know that also, in the beginning, when I came out with Smooth, they would, um, I think, actually, if I would have hung around them and got didn't have my DJ and... And, and and my other guy, they wanted me to be down with Hit Squad, like one of the first dudes to be down with Hit really? Squad. Was yeah, like we're still real cool. That's why you know I got that single from Eric, Rock you know, Rocky Not Quick, which Ooh, fucking was a blessing. He gave me that shit for free on Thanksgiving one day. He was just no like, Power Rule, come to the studio. I got something for you. We put it together, and I did it right there. One of the best rhymes I ever kicked right there because. This is the whole problem. So we got signed and everything in the Interscope thing. We had no management. I had nobody telling me anything. Right, right. Nobody to coach me. You know, nobody, you know, luckily I had a couple of good friends. I got a couple of hot joints. But for me, in total, I had no control. It was more about the party for me than actually rapping. Sure. While dudes were really working, putting out albums, like, you know, crazy albums. And dudes really spending time on their craft. Once I got invited to that party downtown, that's all I did. I never, I, dude, I used to have, oh my God. I mean, you got to understand, I never really had been to a party where I saw white girls dancing to hip hop. Like, right. I've never been to a party <laughs> where you could drink a 40 in the club like at Soul Kitchen. Like, mm. I've never even seen these things. And I was just blown away. And I, once once I hit downtown, old, I never, I was like 22. Okay, so yeah, so, you're ready to. Party. Yeah, oh, forget about it. I was like, once I started that downtown party, it didn't stop. I never went back to the hood again. I stayed downtown. I find there was too many girls to hang out <laughs> with. Man. I look back now and be like, damn, she. So you were kind of wilding out during. Oh, that time. absolutely, going to the studio, having a budget now too. Now you're right. talking about now I got budget and some money in my pocket. I'd go straight from the club, hanging out some girl's house, straight to the studio, lay down. Getting charged a hundred dollars an hour back then at Chung King, and just wow. like blowing through it by sleeping in the studio. You know, oh everybody God. coming to the studio to hang out, right. not spending any time on rhymes. Yeah, the it was just like party in the studio. Dude, I was like. lucky to get a couple of good songs out of it, man. You know, I remember dudes like Premier wanted to do like half the album and stuff like that. Would he coach me? And we're just like, nah, want to keep all the money for ourselves. I think we only paid Large Professor, and thank God we paid him for that because he gave me a hot beat. Yeah, that song is amazing yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, got to get this. Yeah, what, a, what, a, and yeah, such a highlight on that album mm -hmm. too, and a great appearance yeah. from Large Pro too. Yeah, 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 and we're so cool to this day, man. I, I, you know, even cooler now, probably. Yeah, I was always curious how the Bones Malone thing came about with that because he was Bones like, was doing just the part intro. of the downtown scene. He used yeah. to hang out with it. We all hung out. I mean, everybody, our whole crew. Once me and George got together, it's like everybody, George had like his own crib already at that age. And wow. everybody used to go hang out in George's crib. So that's how we all started hanging out together. And Bones was just down with us. Just like, yeah. And that was, that was a good idea on my part, having Bones do that. Now, yeah. I wish I could have had the dope album to go with it. It would have been super classic. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. I mean, you got to give yourself hey, a little hey, credit. Yo, man, you, know. I, you know, I don't really know how many records we sold of that album, but... It was enough, man. I mean, and the fact to get a major record deal, it was crazy. Like, I, I can't believe, yeah, so, you know, yeah, I mean, major how deal, does that, all that. How does that come about? Because Bobito, 
knew this girl, Carmelita Sanchez, uh-huh. who was on the Wake Up Show out there. Okay. And she would be she was an A&R at a label with this other guy named Jerry Davis, and they had a label with Endoscope. So she told Bob, I'm trying to sign those guys. So I had a couple of labels that wanted to sign me. IRS. Do you think this is all off the strength of Smooth, even out there? All off the strength of Smooth and Brick in the Wall. Because funny, funny thing with Brick in the Wall, where it didn't have that radio success, it had so much video time. Yeah, it's totally and, different and, kind and, of and, success. Right? And I remember another funny story. This kid, there used to be this group called Death Duo, and they were from Boston. And they were real good friends with um, Donnie Wahlberg. Okay. So he, uh, one of the kids was up at MTV with Donnie Wahlberg. And he had, we had met somehow doing a show through some record pool or something. And he called me, he's like, yo man, not for nothing. He's just like, there's four videos up for regular rotation on MTV and Brick in the Walls, one of them. Like they wow. love that shit. And I was like, wow, I couldn't believe it. But they never, it didn't get, I forgot really? what they played instead, but something, but my whole life would have been different then. Sure, because videos yeah. really made or broke and, artists. And then the rock rap shit, I would have been the fucking king of that shit. Because yeah, as much as the Run DMC did rock rap, right. nobody considered them like rock rap. They were just Run DMC. Was the yeah, shit. they kind of transcended yeah, the yeah. genre. Yeah, but, I yeah. mean, you were really, Absolutely. yeah, with that and um, the following single, which was, what was that was called again? That's the way it is. Yeah, which was even more in that Oh, realm, crazy you know? more. Than, and I actually based that single and doing the video for that song based on what that kid had told me about Smooth. I was like, yeah, they like the rock shit? I love it. Not, let me give you another one. Right. But the problem was, like I said, we didn't have any direction. So the video for that was dope. It was, it was really right? cool. Black but, and white. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Bray ended up doing that video. Nice. So... You're shot. It was mostly shot in Manhattan. It yeah, like you were right like downtown. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't leave. I so you could hop off set and go right to the exactly club. Exactly. Right, <laughs> right there. But you know what's funny? It, it, it was a sign of things to come because when we did Smooth, it was on Broadway in Lafayette. Was it? Yeah, because we just did it on the same block that the studio was on and everything. Oh, that's and, so funny. And shot it inside the studio. But um, yeah, I was made for downtown. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, the thing is, once you see that, now people got confused. You know, like where all the real hip-hop heads like Smooth and everything like that, I wanted to transcend the genre right, and right. do some next-level shit, but I didn't make an album to back it up. It was such a random single on the album, it really didn't fit. Yeah, yeah, I could see how... I guess and and yeah. it was just like, the album wasn't consistent in any way, you know? Right. If you're a real hip-hop guy from back then, yeah, there's guys who picked it up, but I'm sure there was a lot of people that were disappointed because it didn't really go in any kind of direction. The only thing that held it together was the Bones Malone thing to me. Was That was like a cool idea. But we didn't have, you know, like I said, we didn't have direction. I was hanging out too much and it was all about the party. Right. And it wasn't until after I wasn't getting any more shows, things weren't falling my way. And then, you know, I started not getting that phone call from the record company and they were 3,000 miles away. Like I would never do that again. Like right. I'd, I'd live in the same city where my label is. Yeah, you want to be able to set a meeting and oh, see. Oh, because the people, people, they care about FaceTime. you more when they see you. Yeah. Once you're course. not around, they don't really give a shit if you're not making hits. Yes, indeed. And rap, for sure, rap doesn't get that privilege of, hey, we'll give them three albums like a rock group th- right. does, and we'll nurture them, we'll put them on the road, and all that. They don't give you that break. Once you're not hot, that's it. Rap is disposable. I know, yeah. And so many great artists, I think, suffered because of oh, that, Oh, absolutely. You know, they were cut off prematurely. They were mm-hmm. not nurtured the right way. Right. And a lot of them come into, like like you're saying, even come into it without a real sense of management and, and the right kind of management that can see the vision and be like, all right, yeah, this works and this works. Let's got to mix it up a little bit. Absolutely. Curate it a little bit. Better. Yeah, well, you know, these are the things you learn. Right. And, uh, you know, like I, I, like I said, there was a, there'd be a couple of things I would do different, but the story itself and how everything happens up until then, like I wouldn't really have changed that. I just wish I would have had somebody to like coach me and stuff like that right. and keep me under control. But Did you, know, you go out to L.A. much during that time? Since they I went a couple of times, yes. I actually performed in the uh, L.A. Coliseum opening up for Cape Frost. No, actually, I went after Kid Frost, which was a bad Followed idea. Him. Oh, yeah, shit. I went after him. And I should have went before him because once he once he got off the stage, everybody left. Yeah, he was a local hero too. <laughs> He's you know, superstar right. out right, there, right. man. 
But I did two shows that had did one at a smaller stage, and that was great. But then the big stage, you know, it, it, nobody was there after right. Kid Frost. And the bikini contest, come on, man. It was right. like there's nobody was sticking around. Now. You can't no. follow that. Did you ever meet Tupac back then? Because obviously you guys, no. your albums came out on the same in the same year. You know, like, is it was it the same year? Well, I think Tupacalypse came out in ninety one. Yeah, yeah. Volume so one came out in ninety one. Yeah. yeah, I don't know the well, release that, that dates. Well, that was the thing. Yeah, it was it was it was weird. It was like we were the only rappers on Interscope at the time. We, we, we know, didn't meet. Looking back, is pretty. Yeah, amazing. it was amazing. I, I can't even say that I can I can have a couple of Tupac stories. Like I can say a couple because. Pac's best friend was his cousin, which was one of the boys from my neighborhood really? who was in Live Squad, Live Squad Stretch. Yes, Stretch. And Stretch was from my hood. Yes, rest so, in peace. Rest in peace, man, my dude. So I'd see him with Pac. Was he around. cool? Oh, man, I love that dude, man. Yeah. You know, we were real. <laughs> we used yes. to do real things in our neighborhood. People know. Uh, like, yeah. I don't talk about that or anything ever really, but, you know, a lot of my friends, you know, they, they know we was we got into a lot of things, man. Fortunate, a lot of us to be alive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so then, another thing too that's interesting to me is that. So what? Ha okay, you had the shot at the major label right. thing. Yeah. You did, you did the. Yeah. You had the run for the yeah. album. Yeah. And then it's not until for like three or four years later right. does does uh, uh, Dust to Dawn and, and Rocky Not come out, and it's on Hydra, and, and yeah. the industry itself is obviously the difference between ninety one and ninety. Five or four yeah. when that came out, I mean, a lot has changed oh, too, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so what are you doing in between? It's time? funny because, like, I'm considered a '90s rapper. Um, I'm really an '80s rapper. <laughs> I was in '89, but like, I could have definitely done stuff like running them and been like stuck in that. Sure. But it, it, it was a wake up call when I when I heard. I remember when I heard Tribe's second album. I was like, "Fuck, man." I should have put some time into this shit. Do you hear those beats when I'm hearing the Gangstar albums? Like, all right. of these albums are so well put together. Right. I'm just like, damn, man, I really fucked up. So it was hard to get back in. So what happened was I became a rapper for hire. So all of these dudes who wanted to, you know, they were doing other shady shit and they had labels and they wanted to, you know, put out music. Right. I mean, I became a go-to guy for them. Like, it was... For singles. For singles. Yeah, it was like they couldn't go wrong with me with a single. Like they'd sell at least five, ten thousand, and that'd be like, psh, that was great money for them. Yeah, because Dust of Dawn came out in the era of 12 inch singles selling yeah. 10,000 copies. Yeah, too, exactly. That was a popular one of that yeah, era. Yeah, yeah. You and know, it was like one of, was it Hydra's first? I, um, it was close. It was in the very I beginning. Think of maybe Hydra. they had one more before that, but it might have been Sneak Tip Records first. Uh, yeah, Sneak Tip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, what was that, that? That time off was the best for me, man. Oh, and, was it? Cool. Yeah, because it hurt, and I felt rejected. But when I got, thank God for that guy, Jerry Familari. And Jerry came to me, and he asked me to do that record, and VIC blessed me with that beat, and then Eric Sermon blessed me with the other it's one. Huge. I was like, that's probably my favorite single of all time that I've, I've ever made. Yeah, it's like, the strongest. Like, you know. I mean, but then, boom, right after that, that gets me to work with Stretch, and Stretch is my boy. At that time, we were good. Then I came out with Well Connected, Bright Lights, Big City, which is another, another dope really ass really single. really great single. It's like, yeah. So I'm more of a fan of my singles than I was of my album ever. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. So, and then the next one, yeah, we threw a little, try to be a little Hollywood and use the, uh, another one bites the dust, but... The other side, it's your right, was dope, and the other song that I did with Ronson, heating up. Yeah, so I want to back up just a little yeah. bit too, for because those singles, I think, uh, you know, they they represent like a totally different chapter in your career yeah, yeah. too. Yeah. And obviously, you know, Hydra has its own story, and they did a lot of records during mm -hmm. that time. Um, and that's Mike Heron, I think was. The yeah, Mike, he was A and R, and Jerry owned the label. Yeah, and those are like Queens guys too. Yeah, yeah, they did like Queens Godfather guys. Don, Screwball, yeah, yeah, all yeah, Queens yeah, yeah, dudes yeah, yeah. for the most part. Yep. Right? Um, that Dolo Records release, though, was I feel like that even brought it up from the indie twelve inch thing. It just felt like that almost felt like a major label kind of record. Well connected, well connected, it was such a clean yeah. club record. Yeah, you know? it, it was. And with and that clear sample, the group, yeah, clear, yeah, clear, that you clear, guys sampled yeah. That, um, yeah. yeah, Red Alert used to rock the shit out of that boy. He loved that. Oh, it's such it's such yeah. a well mixed yeah. and mastered. But song then, but then, the B side 
was uh, Bright Lights Big City yes. and and not and every real strong hip hop college DJ right. and guys who came on Jazzy Joyce used to kill it on really? Fridays nights and and yeah it was it, it did really well. Vic produced that right. Yeah, VIC yeah. did that. Yes. Yep. Which is great because yeah, it's a great B side companion to the Eric Sermon one. It's yeah, pretty yeah. yeah it's also yeah, yeah, got yeah. that kind of burying that New York edge yeah hardcore hip hop sound yeah. And you got the EBMD. Right. Yeah. 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 So. But I've always been intrigued with those two records for Black Wax. Was right. that your label? No, that was that another label? dude who wanted to make money gotcha. from Astoria, Sandy Caracostas, who was still friends. Yeah. And this was during the time that me and um, Mark Ronson used to hang out all the time. Right. And, um, so what, you must have met DJ. Him. Yeah, you I must have met him, him in the clubs? Or? He was dating some girl that I was dating her friend, and they introduced us right. to each other at some party that used to go on a... I forgot which one it was, one a good one, and Stretch <laughs> was DJing, and right. and we just Stretch would end up going to DJ places, and a lot of times Ronson would open up, so we just right. became friends. And then he asked me to come over one day. He used to live on uh, Sullivan Street, seventy four Sullivan, and we just started making music, and that was it. And so like the first songs that Ronson really ever produced were power rules on so yeah, I was wondering he, he, that's that's another great story for me to tell you know yeah because it's yeah. basically he did all four songs I no think, um my boy larry blaze did the other one did prism prism yeah larry blaze did that but, but ron's the, the other thing ron's the bus heating up and it's your it's right, right. all by ronson yeah and those are yeah. i love those i love those songs man good, i mean good. they're great i mean not obviously i'm a i'm i'm a fan yeah. but i think heating up was a real slept on record that record was really yeah it was really hot dope. Yeah, slow burning, and it had like the great BC Boys yeah, 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 sample, yeah. but it also then you mix yeah. in the Run DM, the <laughs> yeah, yeah, Kings yeah. from Queens. Yeah, that's so. That was all my idea. All those little things. It was yeah, cool. that's dope. Yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah. and that's like the perfect yeah. like, for New York at that time too. And you know, I think yeah, Ronson and Stretch, they kind of and the DJs of that era, Clark Kent yeah. and included, like yeah, yeah. there was such a thriving club mm -hmm. scene yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? Um, yeah, so you must. Yeah, you went through all those clubs. You saw the whole run. I've seen it. I've seen yeah. it all, man. I love it. And uh, so, those things went great, but like, I couldn't get a, a, another major deal for nothing. Like so many times, went to meetings, they fall through. But you know, the yes, ra rapper yeah. for hire thing was good for me, and that lasted like a good till like '98. So. I just got tired of the business after that. It's just like, okay, this is cool making records, but I need to really start making some money. So I took a job, you know, and I started working for Hydra. And then through that, really? I got a job working with Faith Newman. And then through that, I got another job. And then I just ended doing up doing what? A and or something? Or? Doing like a a, a a gang of stuff, like everything, you know, okay. like A and Ring record promotions, stuff like that. Just like a, you know, utility player. Gotcha. Yeah. So. That was all cool, and uh, yeah, then that ran its course, and then it just became the thing of, I don't want to be in this business anymore, in any capacity. You were over it. Yeah, I was just over it, and were you I, burnt out on it or something? Or you just no, I like, just didn't like the way it was yeah. going along, and you know, I you know, being on the label side, you got a lot of artists, and I, I was an artist, and I never used to like to get lied to, so I right. found myself in that predicament a lot, and I cared about the artist because I was an artist. So I just felt like, right. man, it was time to bow out. Right. And I mean, if you think about it too, like at the, in the, the year 2000, basically right after those Black Wax releases, mm -hmm. I mean, there's obviously like the tide is kind of changing in music once again mm -hmm. and hip hop in particular, early 2000s, mm -hmm. like just stylistically, New York is changing too. And even... Well, you know, Atlanta buried New York <laughs> at that right. time. Oh, hold on one second. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so with... So if you look at it like uh, it's been like it's a solid 20 years since like you put released a record. Right. Um, so uh, what I want to know is one, uh, how, how, what surprises is kind of getting back into it? And, but also if you had been recording during that time too, like had you been messing with stuff on your own or, or like, because now after all this time, mm -hmm. there's finally a, a new album. Too. Well, I totally detached myself from making music for a while. And then, you know, after a while, sometimes, you know, you remember the reasons why you did make music and why why it was something that was 
really big in your life. And I started getting over the fact of not having huge success and starting to embrace what I did accomplish in music. And I would go and mess around in the studio. Mostly I'd mess around with me and uh, Operator M's. Me and M's would yeah. do a lot of stuff. There's a ton of songs I have with M's, which are great, but M's is a super, super perfectionist, okay. and we never release them. Like, But they, I mean, I'm telling sonically and everything, like they sound great. So from what period of time? Oh, this is around uh, 2000, I think 2001 wow. okay. to like 2002, three, we would mess around all the time. Cool. Or 2003, maybe. Yeah, I think it was two, three so I even took one of those songs because it sounded so good and put it on um, the new album. But um, that's going a little ahead. But so I was messing around with music. I did a couple of rock tracks, and I would I didn't really I just did them and made videos for them. Like if you look right, on YouTube, yes, you I can re- find them. Yeah, I remember. And that. I just got back to doing my rock thing. I needed to get that out of my system, and that was under Prince Metropolitan. And oh, then, uh, okay. Oh, yeah. so even had a different moniker. Yeah, that was Prince Metropolitan, and. Um, I ended up, I lived out of state, then I moved back, and I came back, and I started working for the same company that I work for now, managing, you know, we do hotels and and uh, condos and stuff like that. Okay. So um, I'm coming, um, I'm at work one day, and Axe tells me to come by the studio. And I was like, oh, cool, that'd be nice to, you know, see people and just go by the studio. I haven't been by there in a, a billion years. Right. DJ Axe. DJ Axe for yes. my group, yeah. So I get there, large professors there, Psycho Less, and Lord Finesse. Wow. And I was like, what are these dudes having, like some hip-hop producer summit up here? That's, huh. that's what I really was thinking. Right. And then I realized that they were there to see me and play me beats. Apparently, Axe had a wow. song that I did for a mixtape for this guy named DJ DeVito out in Philly. And he heard it, and what I guess he must have showed it to somebody, and they liked it, and they wanted to work on an album. So wow. it's just like all those years of doubting myself and everything, I put in the work. I actually wrote a good song. That's the song called Grace that's on, on the new album. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wrote a good song. I wrote it about something. I wrote about how I feel the city is right now and everything that was going on for the violence that summer and people getting shot and killed. Right. So... It resonated and it came through and those guys recognized it. And there was nothing more that I ever wanted than guys who are respected like that to actually respect me and want to do wor- well, yeah, to work the, with me. The recognition of your peers. And those yeah. are people that came up in the exact same time that you did. That's why, you know, everything that has happened now, I consider myself successful in this game now. Because, cool. like, I, I actually work with some top-notch people. I did before, but, yeah. it, but now I know my work is at the same level as their production. Like, I right. I know how to do this now, and I know I express myself without having to use a bunch of punchlines. That's not saying that there's anything wrong with that. That's not who I am. I'm not witty in that way, but I can speak the way I want to, you know, be understood and right. communicate the way I communicate, and people actually feeling it, so that feels good. Now I can be the artist that I never was had a chance to be before. Yeah. Yeah, that there's some real genuine freedom that comes yeah. with that. I mean, you know, talk like about... the track on the album, Free. Oh, uh, Free is dope. My boy Self Service produced that, who produced a ton of stuff for DMX and Jay-Z, and he's from my neighborhood. And um, my boy is on there, Sonny Banks, who I love. And um, Chris um, Chris from the studio, he's an engineer. I, he jumped on there, too, so that was hot. Um I mean, I got so many dope producers on this album. I'm just like so flattered. You know, Large Professor for, with Glorify and Praise. Yeah. Um, you know, you got, um, oh, I forgot, Team Demo. Those guys from oh, Dallas yes. that have done yes. tons of stuff. They did two songs for me. They did the Anomaly, uh, Anomaly and Springfield Boulevard. You know, um, I mean, VIC is on there. Beatnuts is on there. You know, Curious every, is everybody. on it as well. Curious is on there. That, see, that's a song that I did a while ago, right. and I kept, and then I put that on the album. Right. So, I mean, that that's a song that I did within that time frame. Right, right, right. Um, but that I was out. But And Dave you know, Dar? And Dave Dar happened to be in the studio that day, and right. I said, jump on. Right. So The homie. 
Yeah, the homie. He's that's my boy. So yeah, I mean, likewise. You know, I'm, for the most part, you know, nothing on that album, nothing on this album, the anomaly is contrived. It's all, mostly everybody that I've worked with on this album are friends or I know from back in the days right. and stuff like that. You know. What was the so, what's the label that put it out? Um, that was uh, um, Foundation Media, and they do like a lot of hip hop stuff. I forgot right. who they have, but it's so weird. That's one thing that's very weird. That's like. Now people will want to put out my stuff, but there still isn't a lot of communication. Like now, there's still, not, now, now it's, it's just haunting. like all emails and shit. Like right. the record label is literally two blocks away from my house in Williamsburg, mm. and I never go there. Like <laughs> I never even stop by. We don't really talk and stuff like that. Right, it's, right. it's weird. It's just like, you know, it, it, it's... Maybe I guess with other people that are do, that do real well, there's a lot more communication. But like I have n hardly any communication with <laughs> these guys. They put it out, thank God, and it's on every digital medium you can find. Right. But I don't, I don't really talk to them. I'll probably talk to them the next time I want to put out something else. If well, I, if that's I, if a reason I to start a conversation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. Is so there going to be physical? Is there wax or well, CD? Or now, whatever? now, this is uh how we get to that. So. Obviously, the right people heard the album and like it, and one of them was a friend of uh, Large Professor's. So Large Professor calls me up. I still get like chills, like when I see his number, he calls me on the phone. I'm like, "Fuck, Large Professor's calling me? <laughs> yeah. What? What, son? Yeah, what?" He's, yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. like, and he's like, "Yo, from another world. he's like, yo, P man, my man's got um a vinyl. He wants to do vinyl uh, for y'all." And I was like, "Word?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'll give him his number." So it happens to be Jameson, who has a Redline. Yes. And he does a lot of cool wax. Yeah, so, very cool too. Yeah, yeah, I work yeah. with him. Super well. cool guy. Yeah. So and an OG too. He yeah, worked at Tommy Boy. Always been around. So the fact that he wanted to do something with me made me feel happy. And we have a single that's coming out. So when you speak about physical product, we have a, a seven inch that has one side is produced by Large Professor and will glorify and praise. And Get Right is produced by Lord Finesse, featuring my man Sonny nice. Banks, which is gonna be very, very hot. And then he's going to do the Anomaly Reloaded with three new, three new songs for the CD. Oh, cool. That's so up. there you go. We got property. Yes, it's coming. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. Now all we got to do is get you to get us on some shows out in Europe, <laughs> and we'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm absolutely. not performing in the United States, ever. No? I just want to perform in Europe. That's not it. even in your hometown in New York City. Nah, I don't really, maybe, maybe not, Depends, but right. I, I think it would be cooler just to only perform in Europe. I am happy to have uh, known that I, you know, I did book you one oh, time. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. you did a great show. It that was, was a, a great show. It was a packed night, and I, yeah, I couldn't. After the Puerto Rican Day Parade Right, well. yep, it was awesome. Us and Beat Nuts. And, like, and uh, it, Gab Gotcha. And Gab well. Gotcha, yeah, yeah. Gab. You have that. All you Corona was giant. Well, yeah, vote chain, yeah. yeah, it's somewhere around there. It's not like a briefcase, <laughs> dude. I got nah. <laughs> I, I downgraded to small chains now that That's are better quality and yeah, shit. Yeah, there you go. That's so, funny. but but every once in a while, I want to break out one of the big ones, man. But yeah, it's just I'm too old for that shit, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. Also, I'm, I'm I'm curious to know what your opinion is. How are the Mets looking this year? Well. Actually, I got to tell you right now, I got, I got to leave because I'm going to catch the end of the game. Oh, okay. And I yeah. actually took time out of my Met time to come hang out with you, Pete. <laughs> but after last night... Do we know what inning oh, it is right my, um, I have it on my phone. I was just about to check. Um, I know how it is. I don't know. It's, it's probably the top of the. I mean, it's it's the probably like the third inning right now. Because right. the old Kara Jin is playing it right, right up the oh, street. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. I'm, I'm really thinking about stopping in there for a quick one and then maybe watching the game. But... um. Uh, yeah, what's your if opinion? If you want to go off of what they did last night, Jesus Christ, it looks great. I mean, they scored 14 runs. Cespedes hit three home runs. Amazing. Duda hit two home runs. Cabrera hit a home run. Darno hit a home run. Harvey pitched good. The other night, DeGrom got into trouble. Don't get me started with talking about the Mets. No, I, wanna, we I, want, you to, I want you to... Yeah, Syndergaard, DeGrom, Harvey. Those are three aces that we have on our staff, and that's one, two, and three right there. Besides that, we still have... Mats, and we still have Wheeler. Hopefully, Wheeler gets it together tonight. He's pitching tonight. I'm dying to see what he does. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yo, yo, and then the day the Mets win the World Series, dude. I mean, I don't even know how I'm gonna act. One time, somebody, my, my, one of my best friends, <laughs> Mike Miller, asked me. Oh, he's Mike like, Miller, yeah, Mike Miller, Dutch fella. That's my dude right there. 
And, was, he in, was he power role? Yeah, yeah. It's part of the yeah. second incarnation, PRC. He was down for, with all those singles. Yeah. He inspired me to rhyme better because he was so intense and dope with his shit. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Shouts to Mike. He, yeah, he's nice. Um, so he said, if you could have it any way you wanted it, would you have been a baseball pitcher or a, a rapper? I was oh. like, absolutely would have been a pitcher. <laughs> Hands down. That's uh, it. And that, that's, did you play ball, though, like growing I up? I wasn't that good, but I, I also didn't know I needed glasses, and that would have helped. <laughs> yeah, that could have helped a little bit, seeing the ball. Might but, be yeah, good. baseball's number one for me, man. Rap is, you know, way down there, but yeah, I love and it. And, man, man, the Mets, I mean, you got to give to them. It was close. We own the city ago. right now. Yes. We own the city I like right that. now. I don't even want to hear nothing about Yankee nothing. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> well, dude, thank you so much again for your time, man. Yo, Just bro, time to talk for you anytime, brother. Good looking out. All right, man. Cool, peace, man. Yes, that was dope. I want to thank my guest, Prince Power, Power Rule, and to all the extended Power Rule crew, and to everybody that tuned in. Thank you so much. Uh, if this is your first time listening, please subscribe on iTunes. Uh, check us out on the Stitcher app, if that's how you listen to podcasts, or on SoundCloud. Uh, find us. Please subscribe, and if you can, rate it, like it, you know. Uh, these are things now I have to say this stuff it's funny I always listen to other people's things and I was like man dang that guy's got to say that Uh, now I got to say it because I I mean it and I really want to get this out to people I choose these guests very carefully because I like to talk to people that that maybe you might not be familiar with or that you've been wondering about too Uh, so I want to try to put you on to stuff especially if, if this is your first time hearing or learning about some of these artists and this might uh, inspire you to, to go back in their catalog and check stuff out especially you know power rule i'm a big fan of uh the intro song i want to let you know that was the b-side to a single called uh, uh dust to dawn but that track is rocky not quick what we talked about in the conversation produced by eric sermon of epmd of course and we're, we're going to end this episode uh with a joint from the new album, The Anomaly, this is Glorify and Praise, produced by Large Professor on the Anomaly album by my man Power Rule. Please go find it. Check it out. I'm sure it's available out there. You can find it on iTunes. Um, and yeah, let's let this ride out. Once again, shout out to Prince. Uh, let's go Mets. And uh, you guys have a safe and wonderful week and weekend. And however you may be listening to this, wherever you might be, um, know that I really appreciate it and that we're going to keep on making these things just for you, for people that appreciate these things and all of that. Thank you guys so much. I'm out of here. My name is Peter Agostin. This episode was edited and engineered by CJ Stewart. Thanks a lot, y'all. Peace. Yo, rule, you gotta hit him with that smooth shit, G. So I seep down deep in the concrete and crevice, analyze myself and formulated a message. Elevated my conscience and self-worth in order to be the man my mother vision from birth. Hard liquor and narcotics collided, thrust me into darkness, vacant places of silence. I hear them sirens, hard bottoms on the stairs, radio transmission saying he's in there. Fuck what a nigga did, messing with the meters Cause we all talk Spanish, now I'm sweating and I'm panicked Pacing like a manic, breaking holes in the ceramic Hoping I can dump it and flush it until it vanish And if I manage to handle it unscathed I'ma drop to my knees, glorifying praise Glorifying praise Glorifying Cause I don't get upset I read a page from the history book Then I reflect Reminisce on the corners When Bobby was selling packs Yellow tops, blue tops It's still all crap And I still can't believe Brothers still smoking that So I pray to Elijah We can get them back My contribution was destructive Destroying a generation Pyrex and a pie In anonymous locations 
automatics that shimmered like bright lights and beacons terrorizing those threatened and weakened excuse me if i choose to sound like anthony cruz but this shit is poignant like the ill street blues news feeds the media mango these young minds so if justice will be done i'll do it in my time didn't happen then but now i'm in my prime classic example of growing in due time Glorify and praise. 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 Glorify